life is either on purpose or off purpose. Every moment is either on purpose or off purpose. And every moment off purpose is a moment wasted because you can never get that back. So you have a passion for fitness and the desire to start your own business. But launching a massively successful fitness business is extremely complex. The systems, operations, hiring, firing, coaching, sales, and marketing are critical to success. Where do you even start? This show will give you the answers. Here is Bedros Koulian and Bryce Henson, your hosts of the Fitness Franchise Podcast. A show dedicated to helping fitness entrepreneurs launch and grow successful gyms. Hey friends, welcome back to another incredible episode. And man, do we have a good one as a dear friend is in the studio, who's also an author and an international speaker and the host of the Shit That You Don't Learn in College podcast. Now taking a step back, um, he started his business after quitting his six-figure, multiple six-figure uh, salary position for that matter, to start high-impact coaching. And quickly within three months, he went from zero to six figures. And then fast forward, went from six figures a month all the way to five five million annual sales after four short years. Uh, looking ahead, uh, Xander's trainings have impacted over 50,000 people in over 22 countries uh, with over 400 organizations and counting. Xander Fryer, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me, brother. Dude, man. Excited to be here. Ah, So a uh, lot to talk about today. You are a very well-accomplished guy. I'm honored and privileged to call you a friend. I, I like to pretend I've done some things at least. <laughs> there yeah. you go. Um, but uh, before we kind of get, get, get to the main story, uh, give us a backstory. Uh, how did this all come to be? Um, it, it just happened. It appeared out of nowhere. It was really easy. Um, <laughs> no, I think I've, I've had a really interesting journey and obviously part of the reason why shit you don't learn in college is such a big part of my life. You know, when I, when I was in high school, I was really good at math. I was really good at math and sciences. So the proverbial, like, you know, what are you going to do with your life was pretty easy question to answer. I was going to be an engineer. Everybody told me like, oh, you know, engineers make great money. There'll never mm -hmm. be a shortage of engineers. Mm -hmm. So go to school for engineering. So I went to UCLA for engineering. Um, you know, because I loved math. Everybody loves doing math, right? No, I fucking right. hate math. Yeah. Um, yeah, I hated math, but you know, it was it was what people told me to do. Um, I got lucky in college in that you know because I didn't come from a, a very wealthy family or anything. I paid for my own degree, so okay. um, I joined the Air Force. I joined Air Force ROTC to actually pay for my degree, um, and that was actually my first run in with you know, really doing something like purposeful in my life. I, I, I found uh, a lot of connection and alignment being a leader in the Air Force. So, you know, as I was going through Air Force ROTC, I actually, you know, at the Air Force version of boot camp, which is called field training, mm -hmm. I actually got the Top Gun Award. So, you know, I was quickly painting the rest of my life as being a leader in the military. Really? Um, yeah, so I had my pilot slot, before, you know, right before I was graduating, I was gonna be a pilot. Uh, it's funny, looking back now, you know, the, the guy that I was always, you know, me and him were always like one and two in the detachment, he now flies F-22s. So like, you know, oh, awesome, nice. awesome job, but, what happened is my senior year, I made the uh, incredibly intelligent decision of driving home one night after about three beers and got a DUI. So and this is senior in college. Senior year in college. At UCLA. At UCLA. I've got the next 20 years <clears throat> of my life planned to be a pilot in the Air Force. And I made the decision that you know I was going to drive home after a few beers and got pulled over, blew a .09. Which um, is just over. Just over. I still yeah. remember, I, I still remember the officer who pulled me over and he did the whole, 
like, uh, you know, like light test and like all of that sort of stuff. And he's like, yeah, you, you know, you're probably blow like a 0.04, but I got to breathalyze you because I'm pretty new. And so I was like, mm -hmm. okay. And so, you know, I blew in a thing and it goes 0.09. And he just looks at me, he goes, let's, let's try it again. Like really? he did not want to give me a DUI. Uh. And, um, you know, I, blew, I did it again, I blew a 0.09. Um, and I remember that moment, you know, like obviously being in that moment was like, it was hell, right? Like totally. I, I just watched the next 20 years of my life completely erased by a, a stupid decision that I made. And I'd, I don't think I'd ever drank a beer and driven before in my life. That was like the first time. And I happened to have three beers and just enough to, to you know, put me over. But, you know, needless to say, that ended my Air Force career pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, so I got kicked out of the Air Force and now I'm a, a 21, 22 year old kid with this engineering degree. So I did what any other, you know, lost 21, 22 year old kid would do. I, I took all this, you know, this degree and all this training I had and I joined uh, Cisco Systems. I joined the corporate world, mm -hmm. right? So uh, I went to the corporate world. I worked with Cisco Systems for about six years. Um, In LA? Uh, so I actually, um, I moved from Los Angeles to North Carolina. Cisco has a program where they take, you know, the top uh, graduates from around the world, literally, and fly them all to North Carolina and put them in a little pod and train them as engineers and salespeople. So I got blessed with probably what was maybe the best opportunity out of all of my friends out of college. You know, I had friends go into iBanking. I had friends become lawyers and mm -hmm. doctors and all of these things. But like everybody was looking at me. They're like, wow, like. Xander made it like well Xander done. Xander got successful so you know I had this amazing career with Cisco over the next six years where you know I was working with companies like Disney NBC Facebook Verizon Sony you, know, you name it like any of those big name companies I, I probably worked with them you know selling them networking equipment I, I held a quota of about 130 million dollars as a kid in his mid-20s you know at this point I had moved back to Los Angeles you know I was I was that guy that was you know, driving around in a BMW, flying around the country first class. You know, I, I had what everybody told me was success. At 25 years old. At, tw at this point, I'm maybe 26, 27. Okay. I had what everybody told me was success, but I, I never felt successful. Like, I felt empty. I felt like, you know, everybody told me, like, this is, this is what you're supposed to build your life for. Like, yeah. But, you know, I'd feel like this, this can't be it, right? So I'd, you know, I'd go out every weekend to the bars and I'd buy everybody rounds of drinks because I was, I was trying to fill that gap mm -hmm. for me, right? But um, you know, this was now about five years ago. Uh, I had a conversation with a mentor of mine and he, he asked me, and this was an entrepreneur mentor of mine, because um, at this point I was really, I was really searching. I was like, I was like, this can't be it. Like I'm on this track. I, I need more. I was trying to figure it out. Even though you have like what everyone would think, and like, that was, man, this that is... was the thing, right? It's like every single one of my friends, if, if every, like every single one of them, my family too, like every single one of them would have been like Xander has done it. Like yeah. Xander's got, at this point I'm making somewhere around two, like 250 K a year Ooh. as a kid in his mid to late twenties. Right. Like I'm really doing well for myself according to everybody else, but like didn't feel like it. Um, so I had a conversation with a mentor of mine and, uh, and he actually asked me, you know, he asked me the kind of the, the brutal questions that nobody else was willing to ask me. So he said, you know, Xander, like you could, you could do anything. Like what, what would you do if you couldn't fail? And I think that was the first question that really kind of opened things up for me. Like, what would you do if you couldn't fail? And mm -hmm. I was like, honestly, like the thing that I miss the most is like mentoring people. I miss mentoring people like I got to in the Air Force. And I do it maybe 10% of the time at Cisco. I mentor early in career people. But 
I don't actually get to do it that much. Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, why don't you do it full time? I was like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, well, yeah, why don't you make that your life and your career? And I'm like, well, I didn't even know you could do that. And I was like, but also, like, I have this amazing career at Cisco. I'm on, I'm on track to be one of the, you know, one of the youngest directors in recent history. Like, I've got great momentum. I've got great clients. Like, I didn't have a dead-end job. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that feel like they're in a dead-end job. I did not have that. Right. I had a very good job. <laughs> I was very happy with what I was doing. Yeah. Right? But he basically helped point out to me, you know, and what he said was, you know, Xander, just because you're good at something, does that mean you should do it? And just because there's a path for you, does that mean you should follow it? And he kind of reminded me, he's like, you realize that you only get one life, right? Like we all have a certain amount of time on this Mm -hmm. earth. And when you get to my age, he was, you know, I was 27 at the time. He was maybe 37, maybe a decade older than I was. He's like, when you get to my age, you realize very quickly, like it goes by a lot faster than you think. And not to totally derail this, but what was his background in terms of So his, his background was health and wellness. Okay. So, so he was a health and wellness entrepreneur and speaker. He had some books. Um, he had some products that were in the, you know, the holistic health space. Um, and so he used to tour, tour uh, the U.S. and Europe and basically talk and, and you know, sell his books and things like that. Um, but basically, you know, he pointed out, you know, he's like, Xander, when you get to my age, you'll realize that, you know, life is either on purpose or off purpose. Every moment is either on purpose or off purpose. And every moment off purpose is a moment wasted because you can never get that back. Right. And he said, Xander, do you know the difference between you and me? And I said, well, you know, you make a shit ton more money than I do because he made seven figures at that point. No joke. And, and, uh, and he's like, the difference between you and me is... I see a scared kid just dreaming a dream and I'm actually living mine. And that was the first time that I ever had someone be real enough with me to help me realize like, yeah, I had all this success. I had this confidence on the outside, but I was actually just scared. Hmm. Like I was scared to go do something that I knew I needed to do mm-hmm. and realized that, you know, I only have one life. Like I, I, I don't have a choice. I have to go pursue something more. Um, and I remember, I remember that was on a Saturday, and that conversation was uh, lubricated by a little bit of tequila, I think. So, um, but perfect timing th- as we we shoot today on Cinco de Mayo. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, so you know, I basically like I, I took that with me, and I couldn't stop thinking about it all of Sunday, and then all of Sunday I'm just thinking about it, and then Monday morning rolls around, and. The first thing is I, you know, 8 a.m. call with the Disney team. Mm-hmm. So 8 to 9, and I can't stop thinking I'm never getting that hour back. And then 9 to 10 with the NBC team, and I can't stop thinking I'm never getting that hour back. 10 to 11 with the sales team, I'm never getting that hour back. 11 to 12 with the engineering team, I'm never getting that hour back. By lunchtime, I'm never getting that morning back. Like that whole morning of mine is gone forever. Mm-hmm. And it was doing something that didn't really matter to me. So I called up my manager, and I was like, Frank, I'm done. No. Yeah. That Monday. And that was it. So that's how I quit. That was five years ago. No idea what I was doing. Um, you know, I took, at that point, what was my life savings? And everybody always kind of asks me, they're like, yeah, but you made so much money. So you had yeah. this big, you had this Stack big pile of, of yep. cash sitting in the garage and you just took that and you were able to do whatever the hell you, you guys, I'm a millennial. <laughs> like I spent all of that money on, on at the bar, traveling. Like I had about three months worth of living expenses saved up when I quit my job and I had no idea what I was doing. But the one thing that I knew was that I could not waste any more time. I could figure out how to make more money. I could figure that part out. I could not figure out how to get more time back. Mm-hmm. 
So I had to stop wasting time and focus heavily on doing something that really mattered to me. It's interesting because you have an engineering background. So yeah. when I hear that first... That this is first, terrifying for an engineering mind, by the way. Right. Terrifying. So how does it even work? But then yeah. as I kind of listen to you, you're like, well, I just, from a calculated perspective, I yeah. realized that I made the decision because I wasn't getting that time back. Yes. So that became like yeah. the... Well, if you, if you think, like, those, those, were the, those were the really the two beliefs that I had was like, okay, the first belief is like, I can never get my time back. Mm -hmm. So every moment has to be purposeful. Or impactful. Or impactful. In some way, it has to build towards something more purposeful or impactful, right? And then the other thing that I kind of realized was everything is figureoutable, right? Whether or not I know it right now, everything in life is figureoutable, right? And so if everything is figureoutable and I can't waste any more time on doing something unpurposeful, then mm -hmm. it's like, okay, I don't really, no matter what fear is in the way, like I have to do this. Yeah. So. Woo. All right. So, <laughs> you know, loaded, but uh, that, that, uh, the plot thickens. So now, yeah. you know, you make that decision, you have that conversation on a Saturday, you make that decision on a Monday, um, walk us through how high impact coaching came to be. And obviously, you know, for the views at home, Xander and I are good friends and kind of lead the witness here. But, um, when I kind of give you some, some insight onto this guy's incredible background, yeah. I also know that you had, you know, one of your best friends that, you know, was kind of in yeah. the mix as well. So if you can kind of share that next step of the journey. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I, I quit my job. Like I mentioned, I, I don't have a ton of money saved up, maybe about like, I think at that point it was somewhere between 20 and 25 K. Um, and I had some pretty expensive taste of that type. I, you know, I, I drove a BMW. I lived in a nice place in Venice. So, you know, you can burn through 25K pretty quickly when you oh, do yeah. that. Um, so I decided to burn through it even quicker. And I took all 25 of it and I spent it on mentorship within the first 30 days. Um, so again, it kind of came back to that idea. Like, again, I'll figure out how to make money. I'll figure out the money side of things. The one thing I can't figure out is how to get more time back. Good on you, man. So within the first 30 days, I had hired you know, every mentor, uh, every program that I could, not all of them were great. Right. Um, but you know, my goal was to make sure that I got every possible, re you know, I, I'd, I'd spent over a hundred thousand dollars, $150,000 or whatever to get a college degree mm -hmm. that did not take me where I wanted to go. Why mm -hmm. would I hesitate to invest in myself to learn the skills that would actually allow me to build a life of freedom and impact and, and the financial situation that I wanted to have where I had control mm -hmm. over my, my finances and myself. So that was one of the biggest things for me is like I, I, I invested in mentorship as quick as I possibly could and okay. as much as I possibly could. Um, so I ended up putting myself into a, you know, about 20K in debt. I maxed out a couple of credit cards. So spent $25,000, maxed out a couple of credit cards all within the first 90 days. Holy smokes. Um, and I was actually, I was about two weeks away from not being able to make rent. And I, you know, it was like two weeks away from not being able to make rent. And I remember having a partner, a Cisco partner actually reach out to me and basically saying, you know, hey, Xander, like, you know, we know that you're out of Cisco now. We'd love to get you a consulting role with our company. We'll pay you 10 grand a month. And all you have to do is be a name on our roster and make introductions to the companies that you have relationships at, like NBC, Disney, Facebook, like, cause it was, I was worth that much to people wow. just for doing that. And they're like, it'll probably take 10 hours a week, right? That contract looked really enticing when you're $20,000 in debt and not about, you know, not able to pay rent in about three weeks. Xander, I think that 
offer look enticing for the vast majority of the planets. Yes. So yeah. put the, putting that in the table. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I have this thing, and it's you know, I talk about it in my TEDx. Every moment, every every choice we make comes from either a place of fear or comes from a place of purpose. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I had that contract, I was like, yes, this is going to be the thing that saves me, and this is going to be the thing that you know keeps me. Um, and I, I remember driving home with that contract, and I remember thinking, am I making this decision out of a place of purpose, or am I making this decision out of a place of fear? And it was clear to me. I was making that decision out of a place of fear. fear. Yeah. And so I ended up not signing that contract. The next week, I enrolled my first client as a coach. So I was starting a coaching business at, that, at this point. This is how high-impact coaching came to be. And you learned how to, the infrastructure to do that through the coaching that you purchased. Through, through all the coaching that I yeah. purchased. Yeah. I, you know, I, I learned how to coach. I learned how to get into the online marketing space. I learned how to sell. I learned all of those things. Now, I already had a little bit of sales background. Because you did that at Cisco, yeah. But I learned how to transition that into this, this B2C world. Okay. Right? Um, and I took, you know, again, not all of that, like you mentioned, not all of it came from that. Some of it came from over here. And I was able to take all these little pieces and combine it into this one thing. And literally that next week, I enrolled my first client at $2,700. And then the next week, I enrolled a client at $3,500. Then it was $4,500. Then it was six k. And so, you know, that, you know, within that next month, I had made, you know, whatever it was, thirteen or fourteen grand, And I was able to pay all my bills and actually start paying off my debt. The month after that was seventeen k. Then it was 24K, 32K, 42K. And it just started going up from there. And, and you know, a lot of that, I think, was because I had the, you know, the balls, for lack of a better, yeah. way, better way of putting it, to like face the fear and just like stick with the thing mm-hmm. and keep going. Now, when you're in, in kind of getting granular to high-impact coaching, how that kind of came to be, when you're enrolling these coaching clients, but you're, you're teaching them actually how to be coaches in a variety of disciplines. So when, yeah, so when I first started, I, it was actually just life coaching. So the first, like the first business was actually shit you don't learn in college, which has now you know come full form and come back. But it was literally just life coaching, helping people in careers that were um, you know lacking purpose and lacking direction, helping them get clear on what that next step was in their career. Mm-hmm. So it was you know a combination of life coaching and career coaching, and that's really what got me to the first 30, 40 grand a month. Yeah, um, learning how to sell that, and it was it was you know when I was doing that, you know, it took me about six months total to get to that point, right? And that was when I had a lot of other coaches reaching out to me, basically being like, hey, like, y- you just did in five months what I've been trying to do for five years. Like, how'd you do it? Mm-hmm. And so that's when I, I started working with other coaches, right? Because, you know, I realized, okay, there's this, there's this massive audience out there of people that know they want to have a bigger impact on the world. They know they want to help people, whether it's in the fitness or health space, whether it's in the relationship space. But... Nobody ever taught them how to business, right? And being a good coach is not enough, mm-hmm. right? To have a coaching business, there's coaching and there's business. Cool. And the business actually comes first. Yes. Right? And so I realized, you know, if I was able to learn this, I can now go teach this to all these coaches that are not getting this support. You know, it's something like 95% of life coaches will actually never make it full time. And it's not because they're not great coaches. It's just because they never learn the business side of the it. The business aspect. Yeah, that's it. But specifically in the business, because, I mean, you're, you know, you're a lot of things. And when I think of you, I think of a, a high-performing sales consultant, yeah. a high-performing coaching consultant. Is it the business aspect? Is it the sales aspect? I mean, is it? Yeah, all of the above. All of the above. All of the, right? So, you know, the first, to be honest, like the first and most important thing is like you can never have a coaching business or any business for that matter if you don't learn how to sell. Yeah. Right? Like Mission sales. Critical. Yeah. Sales is the first skill that you have to have. Mm-hmm. 
right? So, you know, some people say marketing. Well, what's marketing? Marketing is selling mm-hmm. through, you know, video or the written word, mm-hmm. right? So it's all, it's all selling, mm-hmm. right? So you have to learn that. And until you've mastered selling, you never get the opportunity to coach. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's the truth. Let, let, let's dive into that. Cause I mean, you talked about, okay, you know, you learned it from Cisco, yeah. but, and you've actually, you know, here we're at Fit Body Bootcamp headquarters. We're, yeah. we're shooting this and you've actually trained not only our franchising sales team, but you've also trained our owners as well. Yeah. Um, dive a little bit more into like the sales of Axivec. How did you actually acquire those skills? Yeah. So yeah, it, it's super interesting and you've probably heard this story before, but um, the way that I approach sales is very different than a lot of people because mm-hmm. I think sales gets a really negative connotation. It does. Right? And so one of the things that I always tell people is that sales, in my opinion, sales and leadership are actually the exact same thing. How so? So either way you look at it, sales and leadership is about influencing others mm-hmm. to take a purposeful action, often in the face of fear. Mm-hmm. Right now, sales and leadership, what most people don't realize. So if I, if I were to say one of those is positive and one of those is negative, which would you pick? Uh, leadership's positive. Leadership's sales is positive. Negative. Sales is negative. Yep. Right. Because everybody's been sold. They think of, you this. know, the greasy, grimy salesperson. I always think of like the movie Matilda and the Danny DeVito character who like oh, yeah. sells, sells lemons. And then like leadership, you think of like, you know, like a great leader, someone who's yeah. doing positive things. Well, I hate to say it, but Hitler was a phenomenal leader. Phenomenal. Phenomenal leader. Yeah. Did some terrible things. Horrible things. Terrible things. Channeled that, you know, leadership in a very- But a phenomenal leader. Yeah. Martin Luther King, one of the best salesmen of a generation. He Mm -hmm. sold an entire generation Mm -hmm. on an idea. Mm Mm-hmm. Where would we be without Martin Luther King? But you don't think of him. But as... you don't think of him as a salesperson yeah. and you don't think of Hitler as a leader. The reality is both sales and leadership are tools and they can be used by good people for good things or bad people for bad things, right? And that's the reality. Sales and leadership are both all about influence. Now, if you use one of them for, to influence people to become healthier and mm-hmm. happier and wealthier and more fulfilled, mm-hmm. Whether it's sales or leadership, that's good. Oh, yeah. If you're doing that same thing to go the other direction, it's bad. Yeah. But sales and leadership overall are all relatively the same things. Yeah, about influence. About influence. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Um, well, good stuff. And, and that's super important for our audience to know because I would say the two skills, actually probably three, but you kind of incorporated marketing within sales. Yeah. But you know, much of our audience are interested in becoming a coach, becoming like launching a fitness business, yeah. et cetera. And really at the end of the day, you need to learn how to market. You lean, need to learn how to sell yeah. and you need to learn how to lead. Like yeah. it, if I can unpack what I've learned in, in the decade of basically being in the fitness industry, that's what you need to do. And really, yeah. you know, that's what you've teed when up. You, you, you look at like, you look at Bedros, yeah. right? Like Bedros, started out as a phenomenal salesperson. Mm-hmm. Now Bedros is a phenomenal leader, leader as well. You wonder why those two things are correlated. It's because it's the same skill set, right? So in the end, like, you know, whether, whether or not you want to, um, you want to have success and you want to impact the world, like for you to, for you to have fulfillment and for you to have the impact that you really want, that skill set is necessary one way or another. Totally. Yeah. All right. So I want to kind of dive into more high, high impact coaching and sure. kind of get more insight. Before I do, I actually want to take a step back and unpack the box a little bit of what you just yeah. mentioned. You know, like how powerful that is and, and the value of 
you know, not only a coach, but also you you investing in that, yeah. right? How we met was actually Empire Mastermind. Yeah. This is a few years ago. Both both of us enrolled in a very high ticket, you know, program. The investment for me at the time was fifty thousand, which was a ton of money, right? Yeah. But I knew that that investment would pay off, right? I, I trusted myself. I believed myself enough. I knew I didn't know the full way, but basically, I I, I knew in my heart of hearts if I made that investment, if I invest myself, then I can be more and ultimately serve more, and ultimately then you yeah. know grow my business, right? And that's actually how we. Met so, you know, walk us through that initial journey before you actually made the leap of faith to, to kind of you know exit you know uh, uh, Cisco. Um, what was the biggest value that you received in the coaching program that you that you joined? And and I guess if you could you know provide some insight, what coaching program you joined? Yeah, absolutely. And and, and how did you learn these skills? So the first thing the fr- and this is pre Empire. Right? Yeah. So um, one of the first things that I did, uh, and this is kind of a shock to everybody. One of the first things that I ever did is I actually. As soon as I quit my job, uh, the, my last day was July 31st, right? So my last day was July 31st. I took about four days completely off, turned off my phone, like hung out with my family because I just needed to like disconnect yeah. from the, the life in the Xander that was before yep. and like move in. It's like really step into this new thing. When I turned my phone back on, the first thing that I did was I Googled Jack Canfield phone number. Right, so Jack, I, I love Jack's books, uh, the Success Principles, and and a lot of his stuff. And same thing with John Maxwell. This was stuff that I used to study back mm-hmm. in uh, in Air Force ROTC, right? And so the first thing I did, I was like, this guy, this guy knows it. This guy's a mentor to people. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to figure out what he does. But but he's most famously known for Chicken Soup for the Soul, right? Yeah. So the guy's sold second to God more books than anybody on the planet. Wow. Um, but uh, so the first thing I do is I Google Jack Canfield phone number, and what do you know? I found something. <laughs> So I called his office. I got a hold of his uh, director of operations, Jody, and I remember talking to her for a little bit. And the first thing I said is, hey, my name's Xander Fryer. Uh, I just quit my job. Can I come hang out with you guys? <laughs> that was literally what I did. Oh, Xander, I love you, man. Literally what I did. So I uh, spent about 20, 30 minutes on the phone with Jody, ended up with the CEO of Canfield Organization, who's Patty Aubrey. Okay. Um, talked to her for a little bit, ended up on the phone with Jack for about five minutes. About 45 minutes later, I've got a flight out to Arizona. Off a cold call. Off of a cold call. And I'm packing my bags and getting ready to go the next day. Um, So I fly out to Arizona. I end up spending the next three weeks with Jack's team and everything there. I end up, while I'm there, part of the reason that I spent the next 90 days investing in all these different programs was because while I was there, Jack helped me realize something um, that I want to share this with everybody because I think it's probably one of the biggest life lessons that I've ever learned. And, you know, Bedros talks about this. Craig talks about this. Everybody talks about it. People who pay, pay attention. People who pay, pay attention. People who pay, pay attention. Um, you know, I joke that like when I joined Empire, like, you know, putting up the $50,000, like, frankly, whether or not I learned anything new wouldn't have made a difference because putting up the $50,000 kept me accountable to take the scary actions to do the shit that really mattered. Amen. Right? Like what I learned would have been irrelevant. And every time I learned something life-altering or had an epiphany moment, that was icing, icing on the cake. And right? I think it's so true and, and interject here because in my experience, like, you know, be able to provide, you know, some prospects, even some free, uh, free coaching, this, that, and the other, yeah. those people take it less seriously than the ones who 100%. are actually investing themselves. 100%, right? This is why, you know, I, and obviously now with a lot of my clients in the coaching space, you know, the first thing that I tell them is like, look, before somebody pays you, you can't coach them. I forbid you because they're not gonna be financially, mentally, or emotionally committed. Mm -hmm. How many times have you put out great coaching content on Instagram or somewhere and people don't implement it? Mm 
because they haven't said yes i am gonna make because every coaching like everything that you tell somebody to do is going to be uncomfortable and unless somebody's committed to going through that discomfort by like poning up some cash or something like that there's other ways to be committed but paying for it is probably the easiest and most straightforward mm-hmm. right um but yeah 100 like uh, i think that was the big thing that jack helped me realize so while i was there i end up buying everything in his arsenal Right, so he was actually the first first person that I really invested in because while I was there, I realized the the immense power of investing in a program or in in anything because really what you're doing is you're investing in yourself. Mm-hmm. You're telling your subconscious that 95% of your brain, like, hey, I'm serious about this. Like, I'm not dicking around. This isn't this isn't like. You know, another Sunday morning idea that's just going to fall by the wayside, and I'm going to spend ten years, and I'm going to look back and be like, "Man, I wish I tried that thing." You're right. No, you're you're putting the money in, so you're committed, and you're going to get out of your comfort zone, and you're going to do the damn thing. So, and that's so important, Xander, yeah. because not only for you to experience that, but the mindset of a coach. Because yeah. when you have that mindset, when you lead your followers, then they end up get, getting better 100, results. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. And I think that was. Again, you know, like I, I find myself, you know, even at this point, like you mentioned, we'll we'll do somewhere around five million this year. Like I never stop stretching myself to invest in something else that puts me out of my comfort zone. Up to this point, I've probably spent, I think, somewhere between five hundred to seven hundred thousand dollars on my own coaching and personal development over the last four years. Mm-hmm. Right. So I've spent almost a million dollars, and I continue to do it. And every year I do something bigger and more, you know, like that puts me out of my comfort zone. But it just keeps on paying off. But it keeps paying off because every time it's submitting to my subconscious and me as a person like, hey, I'm serious about this. Like I'm going to make this happen. So. Yeah, I think there's there's just a lot there. And I think it's just so impactful and especially in our audience who want to be, uh, you know, successful coaches in the fitness space. Yeah. Like you have to be able to accept the coaching as well and take action on that and then be able to, you know, really charge what you're worth in order to get your client the best results. I think, because I think that's so important, right? Like you have to make sure that you realize like you need to charge them and they need to be committed mm-hmm. for them to actually get the outcomes that that both you and they want. Totally. Right. So that's absolutely crucial. Yeah. Love it, buddy. All right. Well, well, transitioning now, it kind of kind of yeah. derailed you, but you know, from the, the high impact coaching. So we talked about launching it, but you know, kind of kind of give us uh, the snapshot of of, of the business, uh, some of the highlights, and also, you know, nothing is all sunshines and rainbows. Uh, yeah. You know what? Uh, what are the challenges along the way? Well, I think I think you know, here's the deal, right? Like, as an entrepreneur, you're going to take a lot of shots, and you're going to miss more than you hit, mm-hmm. right? But that's part of the game. Right, you know, I think um, you know, I think one of the things that's allowed me to scale, we've we've basically doubled every year for the last four years or whatever it is, and what's allowed me to continue at that pace is my willingness. I shouldn't even say my willingness; it's my wantingness to fail. Right. So we've done so many things where I've messed up, but I. Do you think that's your engineering background? Because if you look at engineers, like you're a scientist, right? And scientist is about trial and error. So, so when I explain it to people, it's if you think about it from a software standpoint, it's it's the agile model, right? So it's the agile model where like you have to go put out a minimum viable product Mm -hmm. that is frankly C minus work, at best, Mm -hmm. right? This is terrifying for a lot of people, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Like if you're telling someone like you're going to go to the public and you're going to put out, a, and especially as a coach, right? Oh, yeah. When I, I'm not selling a yoga mat on Amazon, if I put up a yoga mat on Amazon and it gets three and a half stars, you're like, okay, let me go read the reviews and adjust it and make it better. Well, what about when you're the yoga mat? Like you as a brand, you. as a face, and someone gives you three and a half stars, 
oh, no, 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 because now I'm a terrible person, and my personal self-worth goes down if somebody says I'm three and a half stars. Of course, ego kicks in. and Right, so that's terrifying for people to put out C-minus work. But the reality is, like, as an entrepreneur, if you think that you're going to put together A-plus work right from the beginning, you are dead wrong, mm -hmm. right? And I think one of the things that I was willing to do, and I think this is because of my engineering background, is, like, I was willing to put out my best effort, my minimum viable product, my best effort at the time, right, and work my ass off to make sure that it got value to people, but then learn from it. Learn quickly, learn fast, take that agile model, like take any of the feedback that the I feedback got loop. and feed it back into the system to get better, not a year from now, but that day, now. then that week, then that month. So you are constantly, like the only way to get this proper feedback is by putting yourself out there, by putting, you know, putting yourself into the market, by putting your product into the market and getting feedback quickly and adjusting fast. Right, because you have to put C minus work out to learn what C plus work is. Mm -hmm. Then you have to put out C plus work to learn B minus, B minus to learn B plus, and 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 so on and so forth. That's the only way to get there. So, you know, frankly, like high impact coaching, everybody sees like, like, oh yeah, you, your business has doubled, you know, every year for the last four years. Like you 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 just poop gold or something, right? Seems like it, right? No, <laughs> absolutely not. Like I poop a lot of poop and occasionally get a gold nugget. Um, but I, I think like. That's the thing is like people need to understand like I have more misses than successes. Mm -hmm. So like and Bedros and I were just talking about this because he was he was joking about like a half million dollar mistake he made. Um, and I was like, yeah, like I had probably like a hundred and thirty million, no, not hundred and thirty, hundred and thirty thousand dollar mistake where we invested, you know, six months worth of work. Like three of my team members were doing this thing and like six months and six months later, we're like, you guys, we get, this is not going to work. We got to kill this thing. Mm -hmm. And that was like heartbreaking for me. But like, how, like spending six months on a project, $130,000, not just my time, but three other team members' yeah, times. That's, right? that's so brutal. But like, you know, we look at it and we're like, okay, let's make the tough decision, kill it, take the funds and resources, move forward, move on, on, move on to the next thing. Right? And as painful as that is, Sander, I mean, and you know this to be true, like anyone who you study that's super successful, that story right there, that's not a unicorn. I mean, yeah. that's just the formula it's, it's for success. It's mandatory. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, kind of like we talked about, it's not, a, it's not even just a willingness to go through that. It's a wantingness. Mm -hmm. It's like, I actually, uh, in my brain, I've, I've worked on this belief for the last four years. By the way, I was not born with this belief. Like everybody's scared of failure. Mm -hmm. Everybody's scared of criticism. Everybody's scared of being judged, mm -hmm. right? Like we all have that innate fear, mm -hmm. right? But I had to work on this and you, you work on this by doing little things, like little, little risks that you take. Like, okay, if I can go do this and I didn't die, let me see if I can go do a little bit bigger and not die and then mm -hmm. go do a little bit bigger. And <laughs> okay, I survived that one too. Let's keep going. Let's keep moving. Right, let's keep moving. But um. You know, I have, what I've found is every time that I go through a failure like that, on the other side is a monumental step up in myself as a leader and a monumental step up in the business in its ability to impact and the ability to produce wealth for myself, my family, my team, mm -hmm. and everything that we do. Yeah. So. Amen, man. Um, dive in a little bit more because, again, our audience, they're interested in yeah. you know, start being great coaches, starting a coaching business, specifically in the fitness industry. What would you say in your experience of like developing and coaching coaches is the biggest kind of disconnect or the, or the skill set that you know, uh, a coach needs to acquire in order yeah. to be successful within their coaching it's practice? Sales. sales. It's going back to the sales conversation that we had. Um, you know, I think, and, and again, I'll take it a step further. If you're looking to you know, get into coaching space, sales equals leadership, equals coaching. Mm -hmm. They are all synonymous, 100% of them, right? And so 
again, you know, I tell people that a really good sales conversation is a really good coaching conversation, right? And so the analogy that, and I, you know, I, I taught this to the Fit Body Bootcamp team. Mm-hmm. You know, I always think of like most people think of sales. We, they think of like Danny DeVito's character, that like salesy, manipulative right. guy, right? right? I, I like to think of a trusted advisor, mm-hmm. right? And when I think of a trusted advisor, I'm a bit of a nerd, so I think of Yoda, right? So I like to embody Yoda when I am both being a coach and when I'm doing sales. And what that means is, you know, Yoda's... Do you, like, step into that role? Is I, that I do. Okay. I, I literally, like, I will put on that hat. Yeah, I, yeah. I will not, like, put on ears or anything <laughs> like that. But I will put on that hat. I will imagine myself being that trusted advisor, that wise figure that, you know, knows... I know a lot, but it's my responsibility to help this person come to the realization themselves so that it sticks. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you, if you tell somebody something, it's an idea that can be rejected. If I help you come to the decision on your own, it's truth. And that's so powerful, especially in our business, when we're coaching a client a nutrition program. It's one thing just to prescribe a nutrition meal meal plan, but most times the client's not going to actually consume that, right? But you want to actually get their buy-in. You want to present some options. They need to understand why. They need to understand the context. They need to understand the variables and the different options and what's best. And then you want to actually get their buy-in as well because then they're actually going to implement, right? Versus just being prescribed and be like, it's uncomfortable. I can't do this. Okay, I'm out. Yep. And it's the same thing with your sales process. Right? It's the, the, the sales process is not me telling anybody to do. Mm-hmm. The sales process is helping somebody get to the truth mm-hmm. of what's really going on in, the li- in their life, the, the hell that they're currently in and where they really want to be, and being honest about the decisions that they've made to get there, which most people have not been honest about that. Most people numb themselves out from that issue. Mm-hmm. Right? But when you can help them get to that truth right, and not try and hide from it, allow them to make the right decision. Allow them to have the support to make that decision on their own. And that's really what it's all about, being a trusted advisor. I'm also, you know, the thing that I think about Yoda is like, Yoda's not going to tell you what you want to hear, right? No. That, and whether you're coaching or, or selling, you should not be telling people what they want to hear. You should be helping them realize what's really going on so that they can see they need to change. And then they make the decision on their own. Cool. Yeah. High level, digging a little bit deeper. Um, because not only did you train our sales team here at the franchise, but also helped us, you train our mastermind group, which is a a high level coaching program within our brand, uh, which we then implemented to kind of be the framework of our sales approach, right? So, you know, the perfect consultation, if you will. So we modeled off yours and a couple others, and we've now packaged them as strategy sessions, a really great coaching, you know, kind of framework. What would you say is the framework of that perfect consultation? Yeah, so it's so I've, I've learned this basically when I was selling at Cisco uh, when I was working with Disney. So basically, I, I took at Cisco what was a potentially twelve to eighteen month sales cycle, mm-hmm. and I distilled like the theories of like what it really broke down to, and it came down. It essentially came down to like about five steps, right? Um, and the first step is basically something that nobody ever guesses. Um, but the first step is goes back to like the energy that you bring to a conversation, how you approach the conversation, right? So most people, the first step, think the uh, first step in selling is like building rapport or yeah. like establishing something a tactical. Something tactical. Yeah. No, it all comes back to like, are you the salesperson or are you the trusted advisor? Just your energy. Yeah, just your energy. And and the way that I learned this, and uh, you've heard this story before, but when I was 26 and I was in Cisco, I was an engineer, mm-hmm. and. Um, 
I was covering, but, but with the gift of gab, with the gift of gab, that, that's a yes. dangerous comment. A talkable, a talkable, <laughs> yeah, a talkable engineer. But basically, I was covering the Disney account at this point, and Disney had had a, you know a couple account managers moved off the account over the last year or so, uh, and so basically, my uh, director was like, "Hey, Alexander, we need you to go in. We need you to go into the executive meeting." Um, and I was like, "I'm not a salesperson." They're like, "Yeah, just just go in." Like. You've got to handle this one. And so I go into the executive meeting with uh, Susan O'Day, the Disney CIO. And I I still remember, you know, I walk in. I'm a 26-year-old kid wearing a polo like this, backpack on, (laughs) right? Like hands on my backpack. And I'm walking into this meeting. And she goes, great, Cisco's here. What are you going to sell us today? And I go, I don't know. And she's like, what do you mean you don't know? I go, I don't know. She's like, well, why are you here? And I said, honestly, like, I just kind of wanted to learn a bit more about your guys' business. If there's any way I can help out, let me know. Like, I'm here for you. And she goes, great. Go ahead and take a seat. And she emails my director later that night and says, I think we'll keep this one around. Hmm. So the first lesson I ever learned in selling was by not selling. I learned about just being the guy who wanted to learn and understand and care about this person. I still have a, dis- uh, a Disney badge. I can get into Disney parks, right? I don't even have my Cisco badge still. I have a Disney badge. That's awesome. Right? But they considered me a team member because when I came in, I cared about their end result. And there was a time we, you know, we had like a $5 million deal on the table and I told them not to take it because what we could deliver was only about 70 or 80% of what they really needed and this other company could get the full 100%. So it was hard for me to say like, yes, we can, you know, we're the best choice. So I advised them not to take it. That's not advisable for most salespeople. Right. But six months later, we sold them like $29 million worth of networking equipment because we were the trusted advisor. Because you did the right thing. Because we did the right thing, right? Um, But that being said, the other side of the table is as the trusted advisor, you know, when it came to that down to that $29 million deal, you know, and this was a big transformational deal, you know, they were like, you know, like, I don't know if we can do this. And, you know, me and my team were basically able to say, like, you need to do this, right? Like, I know you need to do this. Like, they could trust us at that point, right? So again, yeah, if it's not a good fit, mm-hmm. be open and honest. But if it is a good fit, you do not let your client fall into fear when they need to make the yes decision. Which will better their... Which will better yeah. them, which will better where they're going and mm-hmm. everything that they're looking for. Totally. Yeah. Um, so first step is really coming from the right energy and intention. And it's really embodying Yoda. Um, you know, talk, we talk about like the doctor frame, embodying a doctor, right? And so you're prescribing this, but you know, really like coming from that frame of service and helping somebody get better with whatever ailments or whatever issues they have. Um, so that's really the first step. The second step is rapport. Right, this one's pretty obvious. You always have you have to have those communication skills, so the ability to connect. And I'm sure you know. Obviously, you guys go into depth with like the really tactical stuff. We do, and this is something I learned from you, though. Yeah. When I kind of when I teach rapport, this is straight from Xander's playbook. It's you use the analogy of like throwing a baseball, like yeah. going back and forth, and you kind gotta, of being it's in that be catch, in that catch, like that harmony, yeah. that rhythm, right? Yeah. And that's so important. You can't really just cut to the chase without building that rapport. Well, so, you know, the thing that I tell people, right, is like if you don't have rapport, it doesn't matter how good doesn't matter how good your pitch is. It doesn't matter how good everything else is. Like if somebody doesn't trust you and doesn't have that communication with you, it's very difficult to like get to a point where you're both in agreement that this is the next this thing is, to move forward. Yeah. Right. Sometimes your, your pitch is so unbelievable that like the person could hate you, but they're just like, damn it, I don't care. That is rare. But most times not. Most times yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you have to have rapport. Second part is 
you know, any form of selling or marketing is you have to solve a problem, right? Mm -hmm. So the next part is get clear on someone's problem. Problem. Like they have, yeah. Which is so important because at least speaking for me, when I first, you know, got in the sales realm, it was uncomfortable for me to like product the, product the problem. But really yeah. at the end of the day, they're not, they're not buying for the sake of just buying. They're buying to solve a problem, and it's your job to uncover that problem. And I think so. Then you can present the and solution. And I think this is where you know, if we're talking about the fitness space, this is where most coaches do not do a good enough job, right? Because most coaches will ask you, you know, let's say it's weight loss, mm -hmm. right, or something like that. Which most, is what we do. Yeah. Here, if so, so you know, most coaches will say, "How much do you weigh? How much do you want to weigh?" Right, and then. You know, maybe a couple other questions around like, what's your nutrition like, blah, 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 blah. And they'll, so that'll kind of, oh yeah, you need to lose about 15 pounds or whatever it is, right? Yep. And that's really the surface of it, right? What I want to more deeply understand is why and what is the, what has this weight issue caused you? Right. Right? Because that's just the topic. That's it's, just the it's symptom, just the, right? It's just the symptom. Yeah, it's just yeah. the cherry. But the reality is like being overweight is like the root of all evil. Right. Like, and it's, it's funny because I was just talking to B about this, like weight loss really is a gateway drug to so many good things. Right. On the other side of that, like being overweight is like the gateway drug to so many bad things. Elaborate. So being overweight um, will cause you energy and health issues. Right. So if you can't have energy, how's that going to affect your kids? Cool. If you can't show up for your kids, um, if you're overweight, how's it going to affect your marriage? Right. How many people out there have gotten divorced because the, the lack of sexual connectivity between a husband and wife fiddles out because they're, you know, one or both of them has, have just lost it. Countless. Right. Countless. Um, and you know, like I, I say this, you know, not to be like a dick, but just to be honest, right. We had one of our, cause you're a good coach. Yeah. Because we had one of our clients who she was a, she was a weight loss coach and she's like, Xander, I don't feel comfortable asking people about you know, their personal life and digging, you know, digging into like how their sex life is with their husband or anything like that. And I said, totally fine. But I will tell you that you're going to get somebody to come back to you that's going to come back to you and they're going to have relationship issues because they didn't work with you. Three months later, no joke, three months later, she came back to me. She's like, Xander, I'm, I'm going to dig deep. I was like, why? And she goes, I had a potential client that I talked to three months ago when we were first starting. And I just asked them the basics. How much do you weigh? How much do you want to lose? What's your nutrition like? She ended up not enrolling. She just got back to me and she said, you know, Courtney, I need to work with you. And I said, why? And she said, my husband just asked for a divorce. Ooh. And he said, it's because of my weight. She could have prevented that divorce three months earlier if she had just been willing to have the difficult conversation. And pry into and, the, the problem. And problem, pry into the problem, right? The reality is like, somebody, somebody's not making good decisions if they're you know, building themselves up to be 40, 50, 60 pounds overweight. They're not making the best decisions for their life. No. So if you allow them to keep making those decisions. What do you think's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? Yeah. People don't change unless they get so uncomfortable with their current reality, they can no longer sit in it. The pain has to be like at a threshold. It has, to hit, a, it has to hit a threshold. I tell everybody like, we don't change until we hit rock bottom. And that's the truth. So I would rather, whether I'm a coach, like whether I'm coaching someone or whether I'm selling someone, because to me, they're the same damn thing. Mm -hmm. Like when I, if I were to do a sales call, I don't treat it any differently than when I'm doing a coaching call. My job is to help you realize why it's so important to make this change and then give you the tools to go make to that change. Yeah. Right? So, you know, if somebody's, if somebody's 40, 50 pounds overweight and you're not helping them realize 
all the bad things that they've done and all the, all the things that it's costing them, right? They're not going to change. To get to 40, 50 pounds overweight, you literally have to do such a good job of numbing out your problem that you're pretending it doesn't exist. Totally. And what I always teach, actually, there's two two types of people that don't numb their pains. It's their pain. It's little kids and old people. They will yep. tell you. They will tell you exactly what they and feel. Who are the two happiest types of people in the world? Little kids and old people. Little kids and old people. On the flip side, though, you have Mrs. Jones and bless her heart, you know, and <sighs> who's 60, 70 pounds overweight, and you ask her like, "Hey, how's your nutrition?" What's she gonna tell you? Oh, it's great. I eat salad it's and nutrition. Good. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Numb. Yeah. And that's just human nature. That's me. That's yeah. you. That's what we do as humans, right? That's no fault to anyone, but that's just the value. But that's of- like, that's how we have to survive. Like I, I would feel terrible about myself if I admitted that my nutrition is crap, that yep. I'm 60 pounds overweight, yep. that my sex life is dwindling or non-existent and has been for years, mm-hmm. that I'm worried about chronic illness coming or maybe I already have a chronic illness, that I, I'm not able to spend time with my kids. I haven't gone to my, my kids' baseball games in you know, three years because I can't show up there huffing and puffing, right? Like these are all the things that's going on in Mrs. Jones' life that she doesn't want to admit. But the moment that you help her get real on that, the moment she will view you as Yoda and she will make all the changes that she needs to make. So that's the problem. So you've got your energy, you've got the rapport, you've got the problem. problem. Um, the, The next part is what I call qualifying. And this is something, this is something that most sales programs don't teach. Um, and it's something from Cisco, but basically, you know, say I'm working with Disney and I've got them on, on track for this $30 million of, of networking equipment, right? But for them to be successful, like we've got to implement this whole thing. Mm-hmm. We've got to connect it all up. We've got to integrate it. We've got to do all these things. So like before we make this sale, like we've got to go to Susan and her team and be like, Hey, for this to work, this is what we need, right? I need you know, full unvetted access for my team to get access to the servers to make sure that we can implement and connect everything and do this. I need uh, a, a weekly call with your engineering staff. I need a, a bi-weekly with you and the executive team to make sure that everything's working on point. And we need to do this for the next three months, right? And that's going to be what allows us to succeed there, mm-hmm. right? And once this person basically says like, yes, like I can commit to that. I can commit to that. I can commit to that. Then we can actually go through the pitch. They're, they're, they're qualifying themselves saying, I'm a fit for this program. I'm a fit for this. I'm going to be willing to do the things that you need me to do to get success. And only then can I say, great, Let's I can go. help you. Because if not, then you can't. Yeah. And what, what we and did, I want to be confident when I tell someone like, hey, this is for you. you. Like, we're going to be able to get you results. I want to be confident in that. Totally. And I can't do that unless you've told me, like, I'm going to be willing to do my part. And, and Xander, what we've done at our franchise is we've take that qualification. And, and typically it's uh, a couple of qualifications. Questions we have is, hey, Mrs. Jones, I mean, it sounds like, you know, what you've told me, you seem like a good fit. However, I want to make sure that we're on the same page. You know, at the end of the day, fitness is simple. It's not easy. Yeah. Okay. Um, our program's not magic. You're going to have to show up three times a week and you're going to have to really sit into uh, some conversations that sometimes are uncomfortable, but they're needed. Yeah. So in order for this to make this work, I need your commitment that you're willing to be coachable. Can I have your commitment on that? Yeah. So we've curtailed that. You know, yeah. Qualification. There's three other, you know, two other questions within the mix, but it's so important, and impactful because if if a client's going to tell you, you know what, they can't make time, they can't make 30 minutes a day three times a week. If if a client can't give me that, well, then I can't help them. Yeah. Right. So that qualification perspective is huge. And to your point, once if they can't qualify, then generally speaking, they're not a good fit. If they can, then with confidence, with assertiveness, you can say, "All right, Mrs. Jones, yeah, you are a fit. Let's go." And I think one of the one of the beautiful parts about qualifying. Uh, a potential client, like at that point in the conversation, uh, you know, I always tell people, you know, our clients always say like, oh, Xander, I don't even know if I should get this person on a sales call. I don't know if they're going to be a good fit. 
And my response is always, well, you don't know if they're going to be a good fit until you you take them through that conversation and you ask those questions. Because I couldn't tell you how many people, as you go through this process, you create your perfect client. For the first, they may have not been actionable or coachable. They they may not be actionable or coachable before, but as you go through this process, as you help someone get clear on their problem, they will mentally, this is coaching, they will mentally make the decision, crap, I need to change. And then when you ask those qualifying questions, are you willing to do this? And are you willing to do this? And are you willing to do this? They're saying, for the first time in my life, yes, yes, I am. They are becoming your ideal client. Like you don't get your, people are always like, yeah, how do I get more ideal clients? You, you ideal create clients, them. I do, ideal clients don't just grow on trees. You don't just go pick them like apples. You create them. You create ideal clients by walking them through a proper conversation that influences them to realize they need to change and then making the decision to commit to actually doing it. Ooh. Yeah. And then you can give your pitch and actually, all right, here's what we got. Here's what we got. Yeah. So after the qualification, then where we go? That's the pitch. That's the pitch. Yeah. That's the easy part. That's the the pitch is the easy part, but it's also it really like, is though. It really is if you've done if the you've work, done it right. Yeah, the pitch yeah. is the easy part, and it's also like we just talked about. It's actually only about fifteen percent of the whole ten percent of the whole conversation. And ours, I mean, it's literally three two minutes. T- two, yeah, for for us, <laughs> it's probably minutes. about three minutes. Yeah, right of maybe a forty-five minute conversation. Right. So even less, five right, percent, right. whatever that yeah, is. Yeah. Right, but that's how that's how much of the conversation is you actually quote unquote selling. The rest is coaching deep conversations and essentially, you know, helping this person come to a point where they're making, you're not telling them they're making the decision that I need to change. And when they do, they are committed and therefore you're going to get a better coaching client. You're going to produce better results. hundred percent. Everybody wants testimonials and raving fan clients. So you create them. Looking mind blown. (laughs) Gold here, people. Gold. Um, all right. Um, I want to kind of take us down, uh, you know, talk to us about uh, shit that you don't learn in college. Sure. I have to bleep that out, but uh, um, in terms of uh, the podcast you just launched, kind of give us, give us what's going on with that. Yeah. So, you know, kind of like we talked about um, shit you don't learn in college uh, or Sidlick, we'll call it Sidlick for Sidlick. now. Um, so Sidlick was my original idea when I, when I left the corporate world because I'd learned so many things, you know, outside of college that really were what allowed me to start to be fulfilled, make more money, more meaning, and more freedom in my life. And so that was my first life coaching program was Sidlick. Okay. Right? That's what I was helping people with. There's all the things that you didn't learn in college to help you be more fulfilled in life. And obviously, as I transitioned to be you know, more business coaching and helping more coaches, because that ripple effect was so important for me, um, you know, I realized that you know, the, the, the big mission behind everything that I do still is, you know, I want to help, help 1% of this world live from more of a place of purpose and love and growth than from fear, right? And if I can help 1% of this world live more purposefully, I truly believe that we can solve a majority of the world's problems. The health problems of the world, the socioeconomic shit, the, the systematic uh, oppression and racism and everything, like all of these problems can be solved, right? But we just have to be willing to be courageous enough to go solve them, mm-hmm. right? And most of us, don't act from purpose, we act from fear, mm-hmm. right? And so that's really at the core of what shit you don't learn in college is about because frankly, none of this stuff is taught in school, right? It's an inter- interject here, but I feel like there's there's so much there and I feel when you're operating- yeah, Do we need to start another podcast? We, we can start we, a whole new ra- episode here and just keep going. Media's yeah. like, yeah, I love you guys right now. <laughs> 
Um, but really what I, what I got from that is when you're operating a fear, that's like limbic. You're like, you're, yeah. you're tapping into your animal 100%. self, but when you're operating at a purpose and impact, you're, you're an evolved human. You 100%. are, you are operating at, you're vibrating in a different energy. Well, if you, if you think about it, right, like the, the part of your brain that, that leads to uh, fear-based decision-making is the amygdala. It's the part of the brain yeah. that literally prevents us from being eaten by a short-nosed bear or a saber-toothed tiger. Right. Right. Now, I don't know if you check the bathroom. There are no saber-toothed tigers here. Like, we're fine. Yet when, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but, you know, when people, when people get on stage to speak in front of an audience, for, so glossophobia is one of the biggest fears. Uh, is that speaking? speaking in, yeah, speaking yeah. In, in front of an audience. Now, we all know that we're not going to die right. if we speak on we stage. We all know this. We, we know this, but might get a heart attack or something if you're really <laughs> that scared. But you, sh- you shouldn't die if you get on stage and you speak in front of an audience, right? But what happens? Your adrenaline spikes in case you need to fight the saber-toothed tiger. You get sweaty. You get like, and it's, um, it's a very specific type of sweat that smells and tastes bad, yeah. right, to the saber-toothed tiger in case he tries to eat you. Your eyes widen so you can, you can find the saber-toothed tiger. Blood rushes to your arms and your legs in case you need Should to fight or it? run. And no joke, you get ready to evacuate your bowels so that you can be lighter in case you need to run from the saber-toothed tiger. This is why you hear like stories of like, you know, people before, uh, you know, boxers or UFC fighters before a big fight, they'll like feel like they need a crap, right? It's because literally that's your fight that's or your flight response, like system, emptying yeah. your bowels. So this happens to you in today's society, even though we know that we're not going to no. die from speaking on stage. Correct. So learning how to reprogram that is just part of it, but... You know, there's a whole set of skills, there's a whole set of um, uh, practices that we are never taught anymore on how to become individually contributing members of society. And, you know, I dig into this in, in depth in the book and I talk about this in my podcast. Um, but if you go back as far as, uh, you know, Greco- Greco-Roman times, Plato and Socrates really is where this was developed. Um, there's uh, the idea of, have you heard of the trivium? No. So there's an idea, it's called the trivium, and it's the core of the liberal arts, and the trivium is uh, um, grammar, logic, and rhetoric. And basically what they used to say, what Plato and Socrates and and Greco-Roman times used to say is that um, when you master these three things, not just learn them, master these three things, you become a uh, contributing member of society. Now let's take a deeper look at what those three things are. Grammar was the reason grammar was important was because it was the ability to learn on your own, right? So when you learn grammar, you have the ability to learn on your own. Mm-hmm. The next one is logic, right? So the ability to reason to think, yeah. on your own, to think, critically think. Critically. Well, actually, and the next one is rhetoric, which is take in the information that you're learning and that what you're reasoning, and then you critically process think it. about it, okay. process it, and put it out in your own way, mm-hmm. right? So that's grammar, logic, and rhetoric. rhetoric. When you master these three things, you can become an individually contributing member of society. And what's this, th- what's this teaching called again? Ad- so this is the trivium. The trivium. And then when you look a little bit further forward into imperial Rome, when Rome becomes this expansionistic society, uh-huh. militaristic society, uh-huh. well, what makes a terrible soldier? Somebody who can learn on their own, somebody who reasons on their own, and someone who critically questions constantly. <laughs> right? So this method of, of education is done away with uh, for what's called outcome-based education, which is actually the education that we still use today. Right? Now, obviously, we don't have a militaristic expansionist society, but we do have uh, an uh, economic expansionist society. Right? And this is what we see is our, our 
education system is designed to create cogs. It's designed to create worker ants that fit in this almost militaristic like economic society. Totally. Right. And what we're realizing now, and we've realized this more and more over the, over the last couple of decades, is like everybody's done with that. Like nobody wants to be a cog. Nobody wants to be put into that cookie cutter mold. There's a reason, you know, Forbes did a study. It's like 80, something like 83% of people who are in nine to fives are either unhappy, unfulfilled, or completely disconnected from 83%. their job. 83, four out of five. Poof. One out of five is actually happy and fulfilled. That's nuts. How batshit crazy That's is that? Nuts. Right? It's nuts. But all of this is because our, our education system was built to create a big machine mm -hmm. rather than individuals who are like happy and fulfilled and, and critically think critically and think and learn on their own and all of these things express their ideas and so so that's really you know why I came back to uh, Sidlik and you know this this whole idea is because frankly I think the education system is ripe for disruption so that's where I we're agree going. I agree yeah and you're gonna be the man to do and it and I'm gonna be the man to do it God love you Xander you're freaking <laughs> awesome. Well, my friend, dude, we're going to have to do another one because I got sure. so much more, but I know you're a busy CEO of your company and yeah, I don't have too much time with you, but uh, I'm going to transition to lightning round if you're up for that. So you Let's can do it, man. basically fire on some yeah, last get, piece of I'll knowledge get, I'll bombs. get ready. <sighs> All right, here you go. Passion. I feel like uh, we're both passionate guys. What's the biggest thing that you are passionate about today and why? Oh, uh, two things. Um, number one is my wife. Um, beautiful lady from, from Australia. Australia, which yeah. I actually just, uh, as of yesterday, have an Australian nephew, my wife, Tatiana, yeah. uh, basically her sister is out there. So we have a little something yep. in common. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, I, it, growing my business was the first step in my personal growth journey. And then, uh, my wife was really the person that allowed me to grow as an individual, as a, as a husband, uh, in my relationships, in my ability to love, everything like that. So, um, you know, very passionate about her. Everything that everything that we do and building the life together as we continue on this journey has just been. Uh, it, it's amazing. You know, it's it's cool to go do amazing stuff and have a big impact, um, but it's it's legendary to be able to do it with somebody somebody that really inspires and motivates you. Good so, on you, man. And, and you work together. And we work together. She's in the business. So everybody that says don't have your your family in the business, I, I'm like. I like to work with people that I love working with and hanging out with, so why not work with my wife, right? Yeah. So um, that's number one, and then number two is is uh, Sidlik. You know, that's that's the big thing for me. You know, this podcast, the book coming out, um, you know, creating that movement is is really what I'm going for, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a big part of my focus for the next five to ten years. So good on you, man. Yeah. Uh, next up, prior to all the success that I'm looking at with the Xander Fryer um, here today in the studio, looking back at the younger version of you, what was the big thing, big obstacle in your way, and uh, how'd you overcome it? Oh, man. Um, well, I wouldn't say prior to the success, and you kind of alluded to this, this was kind of in the middle of the launch. About six months into me launching my business, my best friend actually took his own life. Mm. Um, and so that has been probably the hardest thing that I've ever had to deal with. And also, and this sounds really weird, probably one of the best things I've ever had to deal with. Yeah. Um, you know, here I was somebody who'd helped people through PTSD and, and depression and suicidal tendencies. And then my best friend you know, kills himself and I couldn't help AJ. Um, so that sent me into a deep depression. It sent me into a dark place. And, and I, I will say that having to go through that has to be one of my greatest gifts. 
because you know now I I know what people have gone through to get there, and and I I feel like I I enjoy life at a different level because of it. I I love every day because of him and losing him, and I connect with people on a deeper level because of him and losing him, and I'm more passionate and driven about everything that I'm doing because I know that tomorrow could be my last day, right? I knew that before when I had the conversation with my mentor, but I didn't really embody it until mm -hmm. I lost AJ, and that was the thing that let it all sink in. It's like, tomorrow could be my last day. Am I living today purposefully? So you know that's been the hardest thing that I've had to go through, um, but you know I look back and, and I, sounds really weird, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah, well, I'm a big believer in Stoic philosophy and that momentum memory, you know, you're going to die. And, yeah. you know, it's kind of a, can be a dark message, but also can be very a bright message if you take the 100%. proper percent. Oh, well, it's the right? truth. We it's are, the truth. We are all going to die. It's the truth. Right? So the sooner that you can accept that, the sooner you can start to live. Start to live. Yep. Xander, you are in the business of giving incredible advice. Uh, yeah. What would you say would be uh, one of the best pieces of advice that you've ever received and why? Hmm. There's a big list. <laughs> um, I wasn't. This wasn't gonna be yeah. anybody. One of the best pieces of advice that I've ever received. Um, I would. I would have to go back to that day. You know, that day that my mentor mentioned that, and he said, "You know, every moment is either on purpose or off purpose, and every moment off purpose is a moment wasted." You know, it's, it's been a piece of advice that stuck with me for five years. It's been a piece of advice that I literally live my life by today, right? It's like, am, I go back to the, you know, all my decisions. I ask myself, am I making this decision out of purpose or am I making this decision out of fear? And every time when I can ask myself that and I can honestly say this is a courageous, purposeful decision, I've never been unhappy, I've never been unfulfilled, and I feel like every time I do that, I end up more successful and more amazing stuff happens to me. Awesome, buddy. Um, we teed this up a little bit, but I want to tee this up for you since you have an awesome book coming out. Yeah. So uh, I would say, what's your best book of recommendation? You better lay this down. Yeah, so it has to be shit you don't learn in college. It'll awesome. be coming out uh, this October, so October 2021. Uh, so be on the lookout for shit you don't learn in college. Uh, but that's, you know, that's got to be the book of the year. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, all right, Mr. Fryer, one last piece of sure. parting advice that you can share with our audience of all the experience that you learned from growing businesses to being you know, super successful to becoming an incredible leader, salesperson, coach, uh, what would be the best parting piece of wisdom that you're gonna leave our audience with today? You know, I think it, it, if you're thinking about getting into the entrepreneurial world or maybe you are in the entrepreneurial world and maybe you're, you're, you're new to it, um, you know, the thing that I would say is take action sooner. Right? Like nothing comes planning. No, no amount of success can come from planning and preparing. So take action sooner, take action before you're ready. Start today, start yesterday. Like just go do the thing because you will learn more from jumping in a pool and trying to swim than you will learn from like studying the textbook on how to swim from Michael Phelps any day of the week. Amen. Right? You have to jump in the pool. You have to start to, you have to flounder and you have to mess it up. So just jump in and just go do the damn thing. Xander, a friend, uh, tons of knowledge today. Where can our audience uh, find you? Sure. Uh, just go to xanderfryer.com or, you know, look me up at Xander Fryer on Instagram. 
those are probably the two best places. Dude, man, this has been so awesome, dude. I love hanging out with you. Yeah. And I want to just acknowledge you real quick, man. Um, it's been a pleasure working with you and knowing you, becoming friends with you for the last few years. And uh, I'm so impressed with who you are, with the level of success that you've achieved. And, and more importantly, I just love you, man. Your energy is contagious and um, you've added a ton of value to me, to our audience. And uh, just from my personal life, uh, I appreciate your friendship and uh, so grateful for you being on the show today. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me, Bryce. Boom. All right, friends. Well, thank you so much. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. And uh, as always, please don't forget to like and subscribe this uh, video on YouTube. And of course, please drop us an awesome review on iTunes. We'd be so, so grateful as that would mean a lot to us. Thanks so much. And you guys have a great day.